When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hi, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf and welcome to my podcast, Cleaning Up the Mental Mess, a podcast dedicated to helping you take back control of your mind, mood and mental health. In this episode, I interview best-selling author, top podcast host and founder of the award-winning social impact agency, Women Online, Maura Ahrens Millet on how to succeed at work and life despite struggling with social anxiety, how to deal with the guilt of being a working parent, how mental health should be addressed at work, and more. Maura also shares some great tips for women on how to succeed at work and life despite the numerous prejudices and obstacles. Want more practical and simple mental health tips? Well, you can now pre-order my new book, 101 Ways to Be Less Stressed. This book is packed with simple self-care strategies to help boost your mind and mood and mental health. Right now, when you pre-order, you can get 20% off. This book is great for gifts for holidays and birthdays or simply just for yourself. Just go to drleaf.com for more details and to order. The link will be in the show notes. If you enjoy my podcast and want to know how you can help me continue making them possible, please consider subscribing wherever you listen and leaving a five-star review. And please continue sharing this podcast with friends, family, and on social media. And now, on to today's interview. I am so thrilled to have Mara Aaron's Mele in the studio with me today. Thank you for taking the time out to come and share your experience as a working woman, mom, and entrepreneur. And you help so many people. You have an amazing podcast that talks about being in the workplace and dealing with mental health issues. And you just have such a great message. So I'm tremendously honored that you're going to share your wisdom with us today. So thank you. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. That's wonderful. So before we begin, would you mind just telling the viewers and listeners who you are and what you do and tell us something that's not in your bio? You know, those little things that people love to hear, something extra. Sure. So I live in Boston, right outside of Boston in a, in a lovely suburb. I have three children who are five, nine, and 11. Spending oh, wow. a lot of time with them recently. <laughs> I can imagine. And... <laughs> and I have been working at home and for myself since 2006. So it's really funny because when coronavirus happened and everyone started freaking out about working at home, I was like, I've got this. I I am an expert. I even wrote a book about, you know, how to build a successful business when you work from home. Four weeks in, I realized I can't do this. This is a nightmare because normally I have childcare. My kids go to school, you know we're all, we're all there. And so 
even I have been struggling with working from home, but I really do enjoy my little home empire. I'm a, I'm an introvert. I really love to be alone. I call myself a hermit entrepreneur. So <laughs> I, I truly, it. yeah, I mean, I truly have, I have a company called Women Online. We are a digital marketing company. We work with progressive entities, pro-women businesses, and we create digital campaigns. And we have about 10 people. We are all remote. We've never had an office, something wow. I'm actually really proud of. And I have written a book called Hiding in the Bathroom, which is really about if you are an ambitious introvert who's also anxious, but you're like really want a big career, how do you make yeah. that all work? We can talk about that. I definitely love yes. it. I love and, the title um, of the book, by the way. I, I think know, it's hilarious. I and I guess something that's not in my bio is that I have 14 pets. Oh, wow. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm at heart. I'm just really an animal person. I much prefer animals to people. And so I have oh, nine I chickens, that. four cats and a puppy. Oh, how lovely. I love that. <laughs> I love the way you introduce yourself. You like your 14 pets more than people. That's so cute. <laughs> Give me a chicken any day, you say. <laughs> I love my hens. <laughs> oh, that's so lovely. I love that. That's wonderful. I hope they're giving you eggs at the moment. They are. Oh, that's wonderful. That's just such a great intro. And just can we start right up the top with off the bat with the fact that you're a mom working at home, thought you had it all together. And now suddenly you hit with, wow, those teachers are like gold and the childcare is like gold. And my kids are big. I've got four, but they're in their 20s. But I have two at home with me now quarantining here, the other two in New York and two in the married ones in New York and Seattle. But it's it's true. You, you've had to, you have to reorganize your life everything. and everything. How did you do it? Because you, an, you're an introvert and you've been working at home and then it hits you. And I'm big on boundaries, right? So I've always, Great. one of the things that I've always been really good at is delegating tasks to other people and keeping, keeping my boundaries, you know? So I had my life in such a lovely little rhythm because even though I'm an introvert, I own a consulting company, so I travel a lot. So I would, you know, maybe fly sometimes once a week. I would be mm -hmm. going to another city for a client or maybe a speaking event, something like that. And then of course that all stopped. So I'm at home more, my kids are at home and it's just us. So I think the really difficult thing for me has been the feeling of not having a moment by myself. You know, even introverts who love their children need a need a break. You know, you you just thank you. Right, yeah. your physical space is is just non-existent, and I think that that's something that we've all really had to realize. Also, letting go of perfection. I've gained twelve pounds. <laughs> <laughs> I used to work out oh. for an hour every day. Oh, I've gosh. gained twelve pounds. Now these are first world problems. I uh, first class problems. I am very fortunate. Yeah. Although I, I did think I think I had COVID and I was in bed for fifteen days. Oh my goodness! Until recently, I'm I'm getting an antibody test. But my family wow. has been healthy. We we have work. But you know, sort of letting go of what you feel like you should be doing and trying to readjust to a new normal of what your days are going to look like, what your work product's going to look mm. like, what your exercise is going to look like, what dinner's going to look like, yeah. you know, has also been really hard. And then the last thing I'll say, which is, I think, a universal experience is the free-floating anxiety, mm. right? I mean, mm. the sense that disaster is only a second away. I think that many of us feel right now. That hovering sense of what the unknown and I was just speaking to this epidemiologist this morning also from Boston, a Harvard geneticist and he was just saying that that is one of the, as scientists they, we should be listening to scientists because they know what's going on, not the politicians and 
even though it's they can't give you definite answers, at least it's more accurate. And I think a lot of that free-floating anxiety is coming from all these voices of opinions. You know, it's layers and layers of opinions of facts that aren't actually facts yet because we don't really know. Well, so and then the yeah. anxious mind takes that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that especially if, if you know, so I always use the example of money. For me, you know, money is 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 a real topic of anxiety for me from my childhood. And mm-hmm. so living in such economically uncertain times mm. really sets me off. Yeah, Other people might be set off by other issues, but you know, your anxiety can just kind of glom on to something that's out there and take you in places that are kind of crazy. I agree. And then how do you manage that? Because I know you've yeah. also, you also, you talk about in your podcast and your, and your book about the fact that you've battled with social anxiety for as Every long as you can remember. <laughs> Every kind of, and, and, and how normal it actually is, but it can be on extreme. And I say normal, we've, the way I always explain it as a clinician and researcher is, you know, we've got that scale and it's, I say it's all normal, but we can, we can sometimes be an outlier. You know, we can slip to the outlier regions of the bell curve and that happens with various different, and I think a lot of us are on the, we've slipped out of the bell curve at the moment and we're sitting on those edges. So how have you dealt with that and cope with anxiety? Well, in my life, I think like many people who have clinical, clinically diagnosed anxiety and I have clinically diagnosed depression, it ebbs and flows, right? So you may have several years where you're doing great and then you may just get hit with kind of like an anxiety bomb, you know, that may be triggered by something that happened in your life. Who knows? I, I had that happen this fall, actually, before the pandemic, where I just went through about six weeks where, you know, I had a panic attack. You know, I was, you know, one of the, I call the ambulance once, even though I'm no stranger to panic attacks, I really thought I was dying called the ambulance, went to the ER, you know, just, just, just overwhelming panic. And about six weeks it lasted. And it had, it was really a wake up call because it had been several years since I had been in such a bad state. You know, when you wake up every morning and anxiety is just your whole life, Consuming you, can't eat, you. you can't breathe. I'm going to test chest is tightening, just even thinking about it. Yeah. The reaction. Mm. And then I, you know, I sort of worked through it. I did a lot of intense therapy. I started, you know, doing a lot more breathing and mindfulness work and it it sort of floated away. And with the pandemic, what's really interesting is that I think myself and a lot of other anxious people, we sort of met our moment. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like what you've been preparing for. A lot of us who are sort of defensive pessimists, actually, that's the yeah. critical term for it, right? We we build in pessimism as a as a defense mechanism, mechanism. Mm-hmm. to get us through. And when something like this happens, you think, see, it's it's true. And then you sort of you sort of almost feel a weight lifted. Like, oh, I can deal with this. This is what I've been preparing for. I've planned for this. And so it's it's actually been really interesting because I think that compared to some of my friends who have not had acute anxiety in the past, I feel more comfortable in a weird way. Like I'm sleeping okay, I'm not sleepless, I'm mostly managing it. Unless, you know, that moment when you get caught by a really scary story on the news, yeah. you see a friend is very ill. But yeah, it's been, it's been really interesting. Well, that's what you've just said is very significant about your higher level of anxiety throughout your life has almost prepared you for this time. So you're coping better. Do you find that you're reaching out and helping your friends that maybe weren't as anxious, perhaps, as what you were before? So you now like this little solid brick that, how are you coping? You know, what are you doing? Are, are, you, are you finding that I, you're doing that? A little bit more. I mean, I, I feel one of the things that I've been trying to do 
is help friends whose income has has been cut because I yeah. work in my in my day job I work with a lot of mostly women freelance writers content creators online influencers marketing people you know who who've been really hit hard and I think that one of the things that I can do now is be expansive and generous with with giving them freelance work with trying to find jobs that's something that that I feel centered in right now so I've been trying to do more of that. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. You know, there's a study that shows that when you're in a place of anxiety or depression, a bad place, that if you reach out and help others, you increase your own ability to cope by a factor of 68%. So, 68%? You know, I know, and more. And they think that's like sort of the minimum. And there's a lot more. There's a ton of work being done around that now. And it incorporates things like, you know, gratitude, whatever. But it's actually when you're in that place where you feel like you can't get out of bed or you are like this is triggered by the financial diet. It's so interesting because as I listened to you, I thought, wow, you're actually doing that because you said your trigger is the financial. And yet you've now, so you're actually coping with that by literally helping others make money. And, you know, so that's beautiful. You know, honestly, I think that I call them small, meaningful actions. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and, and, and a great example, listeners, if you are having that feeling, imagine you're, you're trying to work, right? You're working and you see a very scary news alert or something on Twitter and you're frozen. Yeah. To take that small, meaningful action. And something that I, I do, and this sounds really silly, but it's really powerful, is I go on LinkedIn yeah, and I look at what, what people in my LinkedIn feed are doing and I give them a like or I'll write a job endorsement or, or try to do something that gets That's me out nice. of my own head and my own stewing. And, you know, you could do it in any way. You could go give a neighbor a meal or text someone and see how they're doing. It can be something super, super small, but it, it, it is. It's enforcing that altruism and getting you out of your own stew, yes, <laughs> right? Yes, yes. Out of your rumination and you're the world, you know, the world is ending. I cannot possibly lead the Zoom call because the world is ending and, and we're all going to die. Yeah. And it really just snaps you out of your head. Are you looking to take your mental health healing journey to the next level and find sustainable solutions to some of your biggest struggles? Then join me at my 2020 Virtual Mental Health Solutions Summit, December 3 through 6. I will be joined by amazing guest speakers like Dr. Daniel Amen, who will be sharing some strategies on how to stop those automatic negative thoughts and keep your brain healthy. And Dr. Henry Cloud, who will be discussing when and how to set boundaries and how to enforce those boundaries. I will also be joined by Dr. Nicole Lepera, who will be discussing how to heal from childhood trauma, secondary trauma and more. Dr. Will Cole will be sharing some great tips on how to reduce inflammation in our brains and bodies and what to do and eat for optimal mental and brain health. Finally, my good friend, singer and member of the hit group Destiny's Child, Michelle Williams and I will talk you through how to make brain detoxing part of your everyday routine. There will also be sessions on how to stop overthinking, how to deal with toxic people and words and so much more. We are also pleased to be offering CME and CEU credits. For more information and to register, visit drleafconference.com. That's D-R-L-E-A-F-C-O-N-F-E-R-E-N-C-E.com. The link will also be in the show notes. 
you know, you've actually just described something that is so practical and so scientific. I've just mm. finished a set of clinical trials where I do the clini- clinical trials where I work on mind-brain connection. I've been doing this for 38 years now in this field. And we showed when people get mind, their mind managed, when you're in that panic attack mode or in that set and you actually grab your mind like you did, you captured your thoughts and you transfer that into an action, you mm. can actually see that shift in your brain. So you, you can actually automatically on the non-conscious level, which is the biggest part of us, instinctively on unconscious levels where, where the altruism exists, where all the values that make us human and that drive how we function. And when we draw on those, we improve brain function and we increase our own resilience. And you've just described the practical side and I've given you the science behind and it. And where it in really your brain is this work. all happening, Dr. Leaf? Basically across the whole brain is involved in different parts. So mm-hmm. you have the, the big, we get, people tend to get stuck in structure because we've become such a reductionistic society. So they think it's amygdala. This, and there's been yeah. over talk about that. So I move away from that because your brain is not you. Your mind and brain are separate. So your mm. brain is responding. So when you are activating altruism in the way that you've described to manage a, f- a momentary almost freeze a frozen anxiety moment because of some sort of trigger you activate a flow of initially theta energy in the brain which is a is, is a wave that is very healing and that activates another wave called alpha now none of them switch off you've got different waves but the strength mm-hmm. of theta will increase which will then increase alpha now when that combination happens you start digging very deep down inside of yourself and you start pulling on those values to help others even more and then as you do it the feedback that you get then increases what we call gamma waves mm-hmm. through the brain and then that enables you to learn so that whole process will involve the whole brain if you're conscious and awake you're going to have a lot of activity in the frontal lobe in you're going to have memories coming up so you'll have activity over the temporal lobe but it's not one structure that's doing it it is our mind that is actually making the brain respond so we see waves like waves in the seat more waves of energy and those waves move through different structures but they, there's an optimized function and a non-optimized function what you described was a very optimized function and so that's <laughs> So you've so you found good a good for me. Yeah, good for you. And and I'm, and the reason I'm harping on this is because we get so many questions about how to get out of an anxiety or frozen yeah. moment. So let's bring this into the workplace now. So now you say you fly around. I know you've got a great podcast that talks about anxiety in the workplace. Can you tell us a little bit about your podcast first, and then can we launch from there a little bit into dealing with anxiety and mental health issues in the workplace? Because I know that's really Absolutely. a big area of your focus. Yes, it is. And my podcast is called The Anxious Achiever. It's from Harvard Business Review. We were just honored for a Webby. We're a Webby Award honoree. And it's, which really, is, it's really good. I'm, yeah. I'm very, I, which, which makes me really pleased. And Congratulations. It's a great podcast. You. My point of view is that anxiety is normal and we cannot divorce our anxiety from our leadership at work or in life. I think that, again, societal stigma, societal teaching, whatever you want to call it, you know, we, we have a very fixed version of what leadership is, certainly in, in Western society yeah. and kind of success culture in business culture. And that leader does not suffer anxiety because we we see anxiety as weakness and we yes. imagine a leader having a moment of weakness right leadership is about strength and and i just sort of say to heck with all that that's wrong and actually good leaders and there's a lot of research about this good leaders are empathetic good yeah. leaders are human good leaders listen good leaders are sometimes vulnerable and yet with their vulnerability 
they have competence, right? Amy Cuddy has done a lot of research on this. They are, they are empathetic, they are vulnerable, they're warm, but they're also competent. And so my whole theory is if you are someone who carries anxiety with you more than other people, that you need to acknowledge that, understand it, understand how it makes you feel, react, how it changes your work, manage it, and turn it into a source of kind of essential humanness. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a great way of explaining you know, it. That, that there's no shame. It's whatever. I'm anxious. That person has a broken leg. I'm really anxious today. No biggie. I'm still the competent, amazing leader that you've always known. And so I, I do a lot of writing and work about anxiety and leadership. And, and on my podcast, we talk to leaders who are open about their anxiety disorders. But of course, we also bring in depression. I'm really excited. We're going to do a show soon about a CEO who built a really big company who had ADHD, who grew up being told he was stupid and always thought he was stupid and just carried this weight of his learning difference with him. I really, I really like to make these conversations light and funny and human, you know, because I want it to feel normal. That's so good. And I love that because these are all fields that I've worked in. And I have had a, been on a mission for 38 years to help people to understand the normalcy of anxiety and depression and ADD and ADHD, which are actually not illnesses. They're not it's. They're actually just descriptions yeah. of a big umbrella description of a bunch of stuff because you can't say you're just depressed. There's a reason for it. So when you said there that you've got to acknowledge and, and find and understand it, you're saying the same thing, actually, if you think of it, because it's yes, there may be the label of depression, but the way it's described in today's, and I think this is why it affects leadership. I actually want to ask you this. I, this is how I understand in my mind, and I want to ask you if this is how you're seeing it in the workplace. You said something about the fact that leadership, if you say you depressed or anxious, then it's seen as a sign of weakness. Meanwhile, depression and anxiety is a sign of humanity. You also said that. And from the research, that's actually the truth because every human, in order to be a growing human, has to experience the discomfort of anxiety and depression because it's really you going through something that's going to change you. And it's experiences and we've got to be able to be comfortable embracing that. And I always talk about the embrace process and reconceptualize. So the techniques that I've developed have been based on those principles and how, change, how you can change your brain, that neuroplasticity with your mind and so on. So my question to you is that do people with all that what I've just said now do leaders that you that when you talk to leaders when you explain this to people and that anxiety is normal does it shift how they see themselves does it shift how they manage what they're doing does it shift how they impact their, their I staff know. I don't know because I'm not I'm not in the workplace with them you know that's not what I do in my day job I just talk to people and I'm yeah. about to start writing, writing a book about it, but I, I don't coach. I don't sort of sit in the workplace. I, I do think that things are changing in terms of, me of mental health. And I think, you know, again, coming back to this moment that if you're not anxious right now, you are you have a serious personality disorder. I, I can't imagine showing up every day as a leader of any size business, yeah. whether you have a small business like I do, or you're the CEO of a huge company and not looking at your staff and saying, this is hard. Yeah. I, I'm feeling anxious. The difference and where, where it turns into leadership is understanding that you can say, I'm anxious, but I'm not going to be a mess about it. That's so good. Right? 
Yeah. I, I'm, I'm anxious today, but I'm still going to hold you. I can't promise you that things are going to be great. I can't promise you that you're going to have a job in six months. I can't do that. I no. don't have a crystal ball, but I can create an environment for us together to feel held and figure out what we can. That's leadership. I think what we're so used to or what our stereotype is either a leader who's anxious and a mess. And so we feel scared as, yeah. their, as their team. Or I think what's more, what's more real is leaders, people who are so out of touch with their emotions that they're mean and nasty and doing crazy things because they can't feel that they're anxious. That would make anyone that they're leading incredibly anxious because they'd pick up on that because it's so against how we... Right. I mean, Daniel Goleman calls it emotional Wi-Fi. And I always yeah. think about that, right? We've, always, we've all had the experience with a boss who's been nasty to us and yeah. snapped at us. And we think we're getting fired. Yes. And then we learn it's because the boss, you know, their toddler was up all night or they're having a personal issue or they're in a bad mood, right? It, it, yeah. It's that writ large. Exactly. It would be much better if the boss could say, God, I didn't sleep last night. I'm really tired. That's I'm true. In a crummy mood. That's true. And and when are we going to start allowing that? Because this whole image of the, the leader being this perfect, perfect person, you see it everywhere. I mean, whatever culture, whether it's a church culture, an edu- school, corporate, it's always if you're the leader, you just got to have it all together. No one has it all together. But together, we can kind of still muddle through, can't we? It's that honesty yes. and vulnerability that I'm hearing you say is critical. Right. And it's emotional intelligence, ultimately. I mean, it's, you know, yeah. it's nothing new under the sun, but I no, think that, yeah, no. it's really important. And maybe now can be a learning moment. I think so, because as this epidemiologist, I said to you, a couple of them that I've interviewed, they've said we, for the first time, humanity is facing a global enemy, all of humanity. So we've really got to shift how we do everything. So it's a great opportunity, isn't it, for us to shift everything, including leadership in the workplace and managing mental health in the workplace. That brings, that brings me to another topic that you cover, and that is how do you address if, as a, work, a person in the workplace, you're not the leader, you're the employee, but you're battling with mental health and you've got this boss who just acts like they're perfect. But meanwhile, we've just spoken about that's not really the case. But it's not really allowed to be spoken about as much. It's getting better. I mean, it's definitely oh, yeah. better. There's more awareness and there's more mindfulness training and more breathing and meditation, although that's not quite enough to sustain either. We have to also embrace the reality and process. And I love what you said earlier on about, you know, work. I'm in a mess today because my toddler didn't sleep or whatever, but together somehow we'll get through right. the day. You know, we'll still. So for the employee who's in a situation where it's very stigmatized still. And if they go and say, I've, I've got anxiety, they're going to potentially lose their job or something. What? How do you deal with that? What would your advice I be? I mean, this is, this is what something? I hear all the time, right? Is, is a person who feels that they're stuck in a workplace that doesn't understand them and won't respond kindly to what they need. And it, this doesn't even have to be anxiety. This could be, I mean, really, before again, before the pandemic, what I would always hear was, I really would love a day to work from home every week so I don't have to sit in traffic. So I don't have to, you know, I need to write a report. My office is so loud. I sit in an open plan office. I can't get anything done, but my boss wants to see my face. So what it all comes down to is being able to ask for what you need to do your best work. And it may not be that you can ask your boss for that. You may have to go to HR. You may have to go to another leader in the organization. If you are having a serious mental health crisis, I think it's actually really important that you do tell somebody. And this could be, you know, 
confiding in a, in a friend who's a colleague who's at your level. It could be going to HR. It could be investigating if your company has an EAP or what services your company has. If you work in a small business, it's different, right? Because the relationships tend to be much more intimate. And then I think it's really about coming up with a plan, right? Because this is still your manager and you also don't necessarily want them to see the mess, right? So it's, it's about saying, you know, I'm having a really hard time right now. Here's what I need and here's how I'll get the work done. That's Assuming that you're great. not in great huge crisis, if you're if you're yeah. having a terrible terrible clinical yeah. depression, please get professional help. But you know if you're having anxiety every day at work and you need to go take a walk or you need to leave for therapy, you know if you're if you're managing your anxiety in, in terms of your life, think about a way to ask for what you need, and you don't need to overshare. You are not responsible for telling your boss everything. Mm, what you I like need, that, right? You don't have to. We, we often think, and I, I, I used to say like this a that. lot. I like that. That's really important. Don't overshare. It's really true because, you know, back in the day when we didn't talk about being pregnant at work, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which, Gosh. <laughs> right. Women, women would feel like they, you know. Had you hired. Right. Or if they needed to leave for childcare, they'd have to overshare to their boss. Oh, because I'm, I'm feeling really guilty and it's their fourth grade play and I have missed their last six plays and da, da, da. No, no one cares. No one needs to hear that. I need to leave at three. I need to go. I need to take this time, but don't worry. Here's how I'm going to make it, make it up. And you have my cell phone. You can always text me. That is brilliant. This episode is brought to you in part by International Justice Mission. For more than 20 years, International Justice Mission has worked to end slavery and violence around the world and create more just communities where people aren't trafficked or abused in the first place. And an important part of this work is to provide trauma-informed therapy and care to people who have experienced this type of abuse. People like Ruby, who is from the Philippines. Ruby was 15 years old when her parents died. Shortly after, she was offered a job at an internet cafe across the country. But as soon as she arrived, she knew she had been tricked. Instead of working at an internet cafe, Ruby was sexually exploited over webcams to predators around the world. In an IJM undercover operation, Ruby was rescued and brought to safety, but that was only the beginning of her journey to freedom. For years after her rescue, International Justice Mission supporters have walked with Ruby to make sure she has everything she needs to journey towards healing, especially trauma-focused therapy. Today, Ruby is safe. Because of the healing she received, she was able to start dreaming of her future again. She graduated from college and is considering pursuing a law degree next. Trauma-focused therapy is critical to help survivors move forward and heal. You can make this healing possible by providing an hour of therapy for a child like Ruby. For just $45, you can provide trauma-informed therapy that will change a child's life. Head to ijm.org forward slash Dr. Leaf and help vulnerable children heal by giving the gift of therapy today. That's ijm.org forward slash Dr. Leaf. The link and more details will be in the show notes. It's, it's taking control in a very calm way. It's not justifying because as soon as you go in with a guilty, I'm going to justify, it immediately creates a defense. It's almost like a, like it's, it's going to be in some sort of fri- friction in some way and everyone's going to leave feeling bad. You, if you go in calmly like you've just done now, like you just modeled, that was just amazing. The way you modeled that, people need to freeze frame that. Just go well, in, and, and model Well, and if you're a shift worker, right? So if you, if you work the front desk and you, you know, if you leave, there's going to be a real problem. 
you know, that's a different, that's a different thing. You might have to say, you know, but Alicia's going to cover my shift. Yeah. I've got it. I, I think the message that I want to share good. is yeah. if you are not in a total crisis, mm-hmm. but you are experiencing, you know, mental distress that you need to take care of, you are absolutely allowed to ask for what you need, but you also should think about a solution. So you don't just go in the anxious bunch of information, talking all these things, justifying. Dump it all, hand them the rock. And then they give them, in South Africa, we would call that a gorilla. Put the gorilla in your your lap and now you go to solve that. You go in calm, collected, well, you may be crying. As much as you can As you can. And just say, look, there is a situation. I have to handle it. But here's my plan. That's the key, isn't it? It's to actually not overshare and to offer them a plan of action. And yes. in that way you, so if we can get employees can do that if, and, and if the leaders can be more open and vulnerable about how they, you, you open dialogue, don't you? you? You create an environment of open dialogue. It's, it's, it's human, but competent. You know what I mean? Love that. <laughs> human, but competent. But that competent. Is, that's brilliant. You know, what I saw just when you said that, it just triggered. One of the findings you found in my most recent clinical trial is that when you manage your mind and what you've just described, being human, but competent is a mind management skill. Mm. You, can, you can reduce anxiety and depression by 80%, like literally in the moment. And you can keep it. So mind management keeps anxiety and depression. You're still going to manage, but you can actually control it and drop it down to like an 80, drop it down about 80%. And you can create an upward trend over time as you learn and become much more skilled at dealing with those incidents. So this, those triggers, because you recognize them quicker and you manage them quicker, but you can get, so science shows that this is not the techniques that you're telling and guiding are not just these one-off nice to have, oh, well, it won't work for me. Going in with that attitude, it's not going to work. But going with the attitude that maybe the first time your boss is a bit weird, but you know what? You the, you you produce the work. So next time it happens, they don't have a leg to stand on because you delivered. Exactly. And then you get more skilled at being able to handle that. But don't you think women, Maura, I wanted to ask you, women go into these situations with a lot more guilt than men? We do. And and you know, it's funny. And I wrote about this in my in my first book. I grew up working in 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 digital technology in New York City in the 90s. And the male, most of the sales guys were guys. And no one ever knew where they were. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, right? They were never yes. at their desks. They would come in, saunter in at 10, 10 in the morning, whatever. No one knew where they were. But as long as they delivered their numbers, no one questioned. Their bosses never cared. They didn't ask for permission. And and I always thought about that. And I thought about, gosh, wouldn't it be awesome to get to a point where I didn't have to ask for permission, where I could manage my workday to get what I need, but also because I'm getting what I need, I'll be good at my work. And I think, I think if you come from it with that flipped mindset, which is a kind of privileged white male mindset. Yeah, yeah, for of, sure. I'm so good. I can control my time and take what I need. Because I'm definitely going to give you what you need. And, and so I think that it's a hard leap for a lot of us, especially when you're younger in your career, if you're just starting out. And, and women, of course, we're not trained to assert what we need, but you can practice it and, and really understand that, that giving yourself what you need will help you be better at your job. 
I love what you're saying. You, you're triggering some situations that I had with being a scientist in a male-dominated science world. And, you know, they kind of, a scientist does, they're supposed to look like something if you're a woman. I'm not quite sure. But it would be, we, we, my husband and I would go to conferences and they'd go up to my husband and say, hi, Dr. Leaf. You know, mm-hmm. automatically assume in a hotel he answers the phone. Hello, Dr. Leaf. Hello, Mrs. Leaf. And so my husband would always say, no, she's the doctor. I'm the experiment. I'm the experiment. You know, that's his standard answer, which works very well. But in a, these, I've had come head to head with scientists where I'm saying something that is very valuable, but there's a male next to me who's talking nonsense. But because it's a male scientist, I've had to actually, so I learned very early on to be very assertive mm-hmm. and to have confidence in my content. It, and it, it, it's, it's worked. And so when I see that coming coming out, I will confront it immediately in a very nice way. But so, so when you're saying that, but it's a skill I had to learn. And I learned it very, very early on in my career. Otherwise, you just you will just get flattened. And it's, it's, it's a relevant skill. And sometimes I'm curious to your thoughts, though, because I, I do think that sometimes women get cut down for it. When you ask for too much, you may get cut down. People don't want to hear it you know, and they don't like women being assertive. And so I'm, I'm curious if if you learned ways to either say, mm, this isn't a person who's ever going to get it, I'm not even going to try, or if you learned ways to sort of position your ask in a more palatable way. <laughs> so you know, that's a brilliant question. If I think of it, I'm thinking of a couple of people in my head that they really, well, you just, uh, you just, because uh, I was running ahead of TV, this was a, another scientist equally as competent, delivered as much research, have as strong a theory. So there's no, you know, we all scientists are delivering something. And, and But this particular person, because I happened to be a host of a TV show at that point, was very, oh, you're just a TV show host. I said, no, I'm not. And what I had to do, and he was very aggressive, very, and he's a great scientist and, and tremendously knowledgeable, but I am, I am too. I have confidence in, so I had to make sure that I dug into not my emotions there, but I dug into my knowledge base. And I just challenged back with very, I didn't fight. I refused to fight with them, but I will stand up. And they may think I'm sweet and whatever, but I will come head on with statements and confront. And then at some point, if they choose to carry on, I'll just say, I'll just walk away because there's a point at which you, but then I'll always, my parting statement would always be something very, very scientific that I knew would be something that they couldn't answer back. So it would be my, and it done very nicely kind of to sort of wrap the bow. So mm-hmm. listen, we don't, we can agree to disagree. This is my field, this, something like that. And it, it, yeah, my heart was fluttering. You're going through stress. It's quite difficult because it's, but you have to stand your ground because the next woman that he tries to dominate, you know, he's going to have the memory of me in the back of his head and hopefully won't be the case because that was a particularly bad male dominated patriarchal type of situation. But it That's happens a lot in yeah, it happens a lot. And you, my advice to women also is, you you know, have confidence in who you are and what you deliver and don't, you know, and, and find some sort of statement that you can fall back on that you know is powerful, that is unique to you, that you can kind of end a conversation with. I don't yeah. know if that makes sense, but that's yeah, sort of no, how I, I handle agree. it. I totally agree. Yeah. And it's not, and, and most of the time, you know, I find that it's most of the time if you, if I just come in, I'm on your level. I don't ever... There's, there's certain people that, you know, there's this hierarchy automatically in life, isn't there? Or that people, you know, they'll, oh, that that person's richer or more of a celebrity or has more followers or is the CEO. So there's almost like this, I've got to suck up to them or I've got to talk in a certain way. I never do that. I respect and honor every person for who they are, but everyone's. So I will go and talk to a leader as though they're my equal. Although it's not, not honoring, dishonoring, I'm honoring and respecting, but I'm not going to go and drop myself down to make them feel better. Does that make sense? And that's mm. kind of yeah. how I've handled that sort of situation. 
No, I think that's brilliant. I think that's brilliant. I mean, I, I'm I'm less that way just because I'm I'm socially anxious. So so my tactic is to probably listen more and and not assert myself just because I may I tend to blurt things out and if I get too anxious. So I've learned that I can be my best actually just by listening <laughs> and asking questions. But but that's brilliant. So that's it's how a you great can- strategy. Yeah, that's but so, so that's how you've handled your social anxiety is yeah. through listening. Because when you listen, you look because I can see how you do that. You're very direct, and then you well, ask questions. Well, I learned it the hard it's way. Brilliant. I didn't learn it till my 30s, my mid 30s. Okay. So I it took me many years of either drinking too much at parties or, <laughs> frankly, like blurting and just being kind of weird until I realized <laughs> that, you know, the best way for me to get through a social situation is that scares me is to, as my, as my friendly Stone says, pretend, pretend I'm Oprah. <laughs> I know? love that. And sort of be connected and curious about a person and who doesn't like to talk about themselves. That is so good. So that's how you manage your social anxieties yeah. is listen and yep. ask questions. I love it. I think that's fantastic because people, as you say, people love to talk about themselves. They love it. Yeah, and you they can assume one question to the next and you can kind of guide a person, can't you? Which is amazing. Yeah. Yep. Well, well, you do it very well in your podcast. I must say you ask really great questions. So well, it's fantastic. You. I've got a few more questions here. So what advice do you have for leaders on how to manage anxiety and burnout? It's funny. I, I had a guest on my show who's a pastor. His name is Steve Cuss. And I really, really recommend his work. I'm, I'm not I'm not religious. I'm, I'm not Christian. But he has a podcast called Man- Managing Leadership Anxiety. And he has a book of the same name. And it is fabulous. His whole position on burnout is that burnout is not about the workload. It's about the anxiety and stress that we put around managing and delivering the work. Very good. I agree with that. I, I sort of do too. Mm. I mean, there are always it's times. perception around it. Yeah. Exactly. There's always times when we, you know, excuse me, it's that end of term feeling, right? Yes, that like, yes. Oh my gosh, how am I going to get this deadline, done? Yeah, That's yeah. not burnout. Mm-mm. Burnout is emotional and even physical. Mm-hmm. And I do think that burnout, if you're feeling that burnout, it's a really good time to check in with your feelings about your work, how you're mm. treated at your work, your boss, your team, where you are in your life, everything, because that feeling of, I, I can't do it. I'm so tired. I can't focus. I hate this. Or, you know, who cares? This is all stupid. I mean, burnout manifests in different ways is, is, is really signaling something to you that's valuable. Because if you love your work and you're in a good place and you get into flow, you're psyched. Right? Exactly, exactly. And, and you then you mo- take a break. Yes, there you go. I think a lot of people just don't take breaks, but that's so true. You, If you love what you're doing, I'm so glad that you distinguish between burnout and between having a deadline. Because yeah. we've all got deadlines and deadlines are just inevitable when it comes to life. And I think people mix those two, don't they? And, and people aren't having... Abso- absolutely. And I, and I think that, you know, it's funny, I was reading an article about the Department of Health and Human Services and, and how they are, they're fried. They're at the end of their ropes. They've been sprinting for a hundred days. And that it was sort of a mix of, oh my gosh, we're in a pandemic, but also they're in a very difficult management situation where they're getting pulled between so many different factors. And that and the, the, the reporter was kind of acknowledging what we've just been talking about, that yes, they're in a pandemic and they're working so hard. And of course, they're, of course they're exhausted, but they're also frustrated. 
because they're scientists who can't do their work or they're fighting between political and career appointees and all this kind of stuff. So burnout is never a simple question. And if you're feeling like you've been working 18 hours a day for five years, but you're not in a life-saving job, that's really also a time to be like, why? <laughs> why am I doing it? Yes. And how am I, I, hand- I have friends who work in marketing yeah. and they're like, I work 14 hours a day and I work all weekend. And, and, and I'm like, why? I love you dearly and you're very smart, but you're not on the front lines, dear. No, like, you're not you an ER for, physician. Yeah. You're selling, you're selling soap. Why are you doing this? Right? Exactly. So, you know, it's always a moment of inquiry is, I guess, my, my point. That is outstanding. Looking for something productive to do while in quarantine? Well, you know I always recommend making building your brain a part of your routine. Brain building is one of the best ways to improve your mood, cognitive flexibility, boost imagination and creativity, and help reduce anxiety and depression. So, how do you build your brain? Read. And one of the best ways to read and learn and grow is by using Blinkist, my favorite way to get more reading done. Blinkist takes the best key takeaways the need to know information from thousands of non-fiction books and condenses them down into just 15 minutes that you can read or listen to. Blinkist is made for busy people like you who want to get the main points of a book quickly so you can start using that information right away. And with its audio feature, Blinkist makes it easy to finish a book while you clean your house, exercise, or my personal favorite, while you go for walks. With Blinkist, you get unlimited access to read or listen to a massive library of condensed non-fiction books. All the books you want for all for one low price. Right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com slash Dr. Leaf, try it free for seven days and save 25% off your new subscription. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com slash Dr. Leaf to start your free seven-day trial. And you'll also save 25% off, but only when you sign up at Blinkist.com slash Dr. Leaf. The link will be in the show notes. So if you catch yourself saying, I'm burnt out, you need to follow that with why. Yeah. Which will then lead to, you know, I'm spending 18 hours a day selling soap. Something's well, no. wrong. <laughs> or, you know, God, I'm commuting two and a half hours a day on top of a very demanding job. Hmm. If there were two days a week that I couldn't commute, how would I feel? Brilliant. Literally, how would I feel? <laughs> Things like that. Because I'm not saying you may love your job marketing. I'm not saying yeah. go find another job. I'm saying what do can it differently. You fix? Yeah. Yeah, do it differently. So now that brings me to a question with the current COVID crisis. Aren't people being forced to do just that? Mm, to ask these questions. Yeah, because they've had to do their jobs differently. And I know Absolutely. that the average, I know that there has been research showing that people are spending on average three hours longer working because of the fact that you've got kids, you've got a homeschool suddenly, as you said in the beginning. So, but those are, you know, other factors, but your creativity has, you know, I think people's creativity can soar in a, in a challenge like this because our brain responds to challenges and our minds respond oh, to challenges. I think your creativity can soar, but I think also your creativity can be totally drained by the anxiety and the uncertainty. Exactly. So it's to balance them. It's, I mean, I don't know, but I've, I've totally felt just drained during this for me just if I accomplish the basic tasks every day it's a win at some point when I'm feeling sad or or worried or anxious or my kids are driving me crazy so I think 
I don't want people to blame themselves if they're not yes. using this moment as a exactly. moment of generation. But, but yeah, I mean, I guess the question is though, you have to have a level of economic certainty to begin to question the big, these things. And so a lot of, a lot of people don't right now. So it's, it's really no. hard. So it's very hard for them. But in terms of those making the plans that you know, that's totally, that's a discussion that's absolutely valid, that it's very hard if you don't know where you're going to put, find money for the next meal. That's a whole different ballgame. No, ball but not game. even that. I think, I think even if, if you feel like, God, my, my retirement savings are, are diminished or gosh, I was really, you know, my small business, I've talked about this a ton. Like we were going to have a great year. I was making a lot of plans. Yeah. That number has been cut at least in half. Oh yes, absolutely. So, so, so it's even, and I, I mean, I can put food on the table, but yeah, I get it. You also have to acknowledge the grief and the anxiety and the anger you're feeling about what's happened. And then, you know, if you're in an okay place about that, then you can step back and say, but are there things, you know, my husband said to me the other day, and he used to travel more than me. He said, I never want to get on a plane. I've realized this. I don't want to do it anymore. I get that. I travel. Unless 70- I have to. No, I get that. I travel seventy percent of the month, and it's been it's been a pleasure not getting on a plane or being in a hotel. So I can get that. You have to. It's also our business has changed completely. We've had to. We're literally having to rethink how we do everything, and that's what bring, brings us back a few circles back to the statement you made earlier on that in the workplace, the the soap salesman. That you're coming back to that example. We have to look at if I'm spending two and a half hours commuting, how can I do that differently? So that kind of thinking, how can I replan and reorganize? Does now that is apply? The time for now that. is the time. That's, Absolutely. Yeah. And and wow, you know, I'm I'm doing all this work late at night, and I'm really productive late at night. But at two o'clock in the afternoon, I just want to take a nap. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's super interesting. I don't know about you. I always get tired at four. Oh, I'm me too. Useless I, at four. Me too. That's like the worst time of the day for me. But like at twelve o'clock at night, I write my books or work from twelve to four in the morning. Exactly. Exactly. So it's to find those patterns. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good moment to have inquiry. Yeah, a good moment of inquiry. I love that. You wrote a book called Hiding in the Bathroom. Let's talk mm-hmm. about your book. And now you have referenced quite a lot of this, the concepts already. So it's called Hiding in the Bathroom, How to Get Out There When You'd Rather Stay In. Can you talk about what inspired you to write this book and what it's really about? And I <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's it's really a book about how to build your career and your business when you're an anxious introvert, which which luckily, thanks to technology, is is really possible, right? Which is another thing in this moment. You know, one of the things that I learned many years ago is that I am a great online networker. I'm actually a really good networker. I'm not a good networker in the kind of old school sense of yeah. going to lots of events and mm-hmm. belonging to a lot of clubs and you know, schmoozing and taking people out to dinner. I'm terrible at that. Yeah. But I'm really good on LinkedIn. I'm really good at connecting people creatively via email. And that's amazing. And so what I wanted to do with the book was just offer really practical tips for people who, you know, again, may not see themselves in the leader with a capital L that many of us have come up with. The traditional the traditional way yeah yeah and so you know it's been it's been such a gift to to do that book and speak with with so many people around the country for the past few years but what came out of that is is the fact that i've really focused on anxiety and leadership because when i would go give talks and talk to people i would talk about anxiety but the book was sort of framed as if you're an introvert and people would always want to talk about anxiety and they, that was the part that they'd really feel needing resources and needing to to meet someone who was 
so open about their anxiety and yet, you know, sort of successful anyway. And so I had this sort of mind shift a couple of years ago where I thought anxiety is my passion. <laughs> Weird, but. Fantastic. You've turned <laughs> yeah. it around. You've channeled it into, into what you do. So you've said the book's got tips on how to take anxiety and make it work for you. Yeah, kind to, of how thing. to take things that that can be seen as weaknesses, whether it's social anxiety, whether it's generalized anxiety, whether it's just, you know, being kind of a shy introvert, whatever, and really turning that into your strength. You know, again, I, I come back to the empathetic, honest, but competent leader. Yes. And how can you channel your natural personality into being a salesperson? How can you channel your natural personality into being a great negotiator into being an entrepreneur. You know, we never think of entrepreneurs unless they're, you know, genius coders like Bill Gates or Mark Zuckerberg, yeah. who are yeah. famously shy kind of introverts. Yeah. You don't think of entrepreneurs as being the kind of people who would rather hide in their home office. But yet you absolutely can be an entrepreneur and hide in your home office. You just have to have a strategy. Could you give an example? You, even though you've given one of, of yourself, you've used yourself, if you can take that a little bit further with your, how you've done it or give another example maybe of someone who's fed back to you, who you've given a talk to or you've in, in given terms some of, strategies and tips in terms of how to actually use, utilize your anxiety as a strength. Well, I mean, I, I think that, I think there's a couple of ways. One, one of my favorite ones is to use that sort of attunement. If you're socially anxious, you are very attuned to other people, right? Around you. You are constantly monitoring how they're reacting to you. What are people in the room feeling? Now, you may be interpreting it in the frame of, they all hate me. I'm terrible. I don't deserve to be here. But if you can learn to understand, that's just my social anxiety talking. I deserve to be here. I'm good. I've been I prepared. I I'm ready to go. You can actually use all those tune-in skills to facilitate amazing conversation, to really understand if you're in a sales situation what that customer needs, the problem that they need solved. You don't need to talk at them and prove to them that you're the smartest person in the room. You can draw them out and hear the problem that they need solved because you're empathetic, because you have good radar, because you ask questions and offer them a solution. And that to me is, that's the kind of salesmanship I want to do. I don't want to go show off in a room of people and, and I sell for my, my whole, my business. And so I think it's really about taking those skills that you have as the person you are caring for people. You know, if you're, like, we talked about getting people jobs, but, but I, I realize that for me, connecting people is something that I really love to do. It's really helpful trying to find people jobs, but it helps me with my anxiety because my anxiety comes very much from having a scarcity mindset that I'm going to run out of money, that I'm going to be a failure, that no one loves me, you know, that it's all going to be taken away from me. And if I can, if I can give to other people and convince myself that there's more pie for everybody, that I'm not going to run out of pie, I feel better. But I've also created this amazing network of people who, you know, we have social capital. They'll help me along the way. We help each other. And so it's that radical inquiry. Jer Jerry Colonna, who I adore, calls it radical self-inquiry that can really lead to you doing your work in an authentic and powerful way, not trying to be someone you're not. You said that so well. 
You oh, really, you. you really, I feel like I need to clap for that. that was oh, well, just, that's lovely. I do was, believe it. No, it's but, beautiful. But I, just, I want to leave this. This is the most practical thing. And if yes, you are, please. if you are an introvert or you're stuck working at home and you're not an introvert and you're worried about your, your future prospects, your career, there's something that I call the 10 touches rule. And I stole this from my husband. There's a million versions <laughs> of this, but every week you're going to reach out to 10 people either in your network or who you'd like to be in your network. Somehow it could be liking their article on LinkedIn. It could be retweeting them. It could be emailing a client that you haven't spoken to for a while and just checking in. It could be, you know, someone who's a colleague who you're friends with on Facebook, who has a cute baby, telling them what a cute baby it is. These do not have to be huge interactions, but that sheer act of being front of mind or front of algorithm, you know, in our digital age really expands your network, keeps you in people's minds. And it's the kind of thing that you can do from behind your screen. So it doesn't involve things that are going to make you anxious. So 10, oh. 10 times a week. And in normal I times, I would it. say, try to have, you know, coffee or lunch or something in person with someone, but that clearly be post, we can't do that now. Post COVID. That yeah. is brilliant. That's two, two, once again, I'll give, you know, clap for that one too. <laughs> that was, that's just, it's so doable and so, it's so real. Doable so doable and it does so much good stuff for your brain and your body and feeds back into your mental space too so you've been amazing I have loved this conversation I've learned so much and thank you for taking the time and I'll leave you to go back to your kids and and let them drive you crazy now Play-Doh. Play-Doh. And then you come out of your office and you actually want some space, but now you've been in your office working, they want to play, don't they? They want attention. You're thinking, hey, I need my space first. Can I go play on my own first? No, no. Well, thank you so much. Be well. Thank you. You too. Thank you so much. It's been great. Oh, by the way, just one more thing. How can people find out more about you? Well, they can go to hidinginthebathroom.com or follow me on Twitter. I'm at Mora A-M, M-O-R-R-A-A-M. Wonderful. We'll put that in the show notes. Thank you for your time and have a wonderful day. Stay safe. Bye. Bye. I hope you found today's podcast interesting and helpful. If you want more tips and help with managing anxiety, depression, and mental health, be sure to visit my website at drleaf.com and to sign up for my weekly newsletter, where I also include a schedule of my speaking events and so much more. And follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Just look for Dr. Caroline Leaf. Also, I love seeing all your posts on social media about this podcast. I love seeing what resonates with you and what you've learned. So be sure to continue posting and tagging me and letting me know what you think and how these tips worked out for you. And don't forget, leave a review and keep spreading the word about this podcast. Thank you for joining me today. I really hope you learned something new and helpful. Till then, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf. This podcast represents the opinions of myself and my guests. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for educational and informational purposes only. Please consult your healthcare professional for any individual medical questions you may have. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions or corrections of errors.